We are uh, winding down our series in Acts. And as you may remember from last week, we, we said that uh, Luke spends a lot of time at the end of Acts on these two speeches or addresses of Paul to two different people. And last week we looked at Paul as he addressed the Jews and as he addressed the Sanhedrin and addressed the Jewish nationalism of his time. And today we're going to look at Paul as he addresses uh, the Roman Empire and how he addresses the empire of his time. And I think it's just fascinating that Luke concludes this story of Acts with these spending a lot of time on these two confrontations of Paul with these two groups of people. You may remember from last week that Paul had spoken to the Jews outside in this great group, and then a day later he was taken in front of the council, in front of the Sanhedrin, and he spoke to them, and they got pretty upset with him, and they threw him in prison. So he was now in the hands of the Romans, and uh, he was taken to Caesarea, which is a city to the north, which is a very Roman city. You can tell that by its name, named after Caesar. He's heard there before two Roman governors. The first one is Felix, and the second one is Festus. Both of these governors were fairly cruel and corrupt, and they um, uh, increased the bitterness of the Jewish people against the Roman Empire. And they held Paul for a while. No, they spoke with him uh, uh, for a while, uh, often. They couldn't come to a real reason to charge him. And it says actually that Festus left Paul in prison because he was hoping that Paul would give him a bribe. While Paul was in prison, uh, he appealed to Caesar, which was his right to do as a Roman citizen. He said, I, you guys are not doing a good job, and the Jews cannot try me. So I want to, to uh, the Jews cannot try me fairly, so I want to appeal to Caesar, uh, which is my right as a Roman citizen. So while he was waiting to be transferred to um, Rome, King Agrippa showed up on the scene. You may have heard this name before with his sister Bernice. Agrippa was a combination of Jew and Rome. He was a Hellenistic Jew, so he was a foreign Jew, what, what you, you might have called a God-fearer, except he wasn't really, well, maybe he was a God-fearer. But he was thoroughly embedded in the Roman Empire and had been given the kingship over this part of, of, of the Roman Empire, over this part of Palestine. And he was um, um, also not very supportive of the Jews. He also created a lot of bitterness among the Jews, and he actually sided with Rome very, very strongly in the Jewish wars, in the Jewish war that happened between 66 and 73. So even though he was a Hellenistic Jew, when Paul stood before him, which we're going to read in just a moment, Paul was looking into the eyes of Rome. So Agrippa comes in, meets Festus, they have their big banquet, I'm sure, and Festus starts to tell about this fellow Paul, especially because Agrippa is Jewish and knows something about Jewish customs. And Agrippa says, I would love to hear this man. So Paul gives a rather lengthy speech as recorded in Acts chapter 26. I'm not going to, for the reasons of time, I'm not going to read all of it. But Paul does what has become kind of standard for him. He confirms his bona fides as a Jew. He's born and raised and taught as a Jew under one of the greatest of teachers, Gamaliel. 
He confirms his commitment to everything Jewish, and he tells in detail, again, you remember he did this last time, about, he, about how he had opposed the way, that is, the groups of people who were following Jesus, in every possible way, including violence and including um, uh, death, or at least acquiescing in their death, and then even going to foreign cities. So obviously he went to more foreign cities than Damascus to persecute them. And then, as he almost always does, he tells the story of his conversion. And that's where I want to pick up our reading this morning from Acts chapter 26, starting at verse 12, should appear on your screen. Acts chapter 26, verse 12. And again, we're coming in in the middle of his, uh, of his uh, speech to um, Agrippa. In this connection, that is, as he was persecuting uh, the followers of Jesus, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen in me, and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles, to whom I am sending you to open their eyes, so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day, I've had, I've had the help that comes from God, and so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. And what I'd like to focus on this morning, do a little bit of a deep dive with you, is this verse, uh, which I think is, is like the final conclusion, Paul's last words in Acts about what he was sent to do. And they come from Acts 17 and 18. And I'm just going to leave them up on the screen as I go through them. I'm going to read them to you, to you again. Paul says to Agrippa, Jesus has sent me and told me that he's going to deliver me from his people and from the Gentiles. Then Jesus says to Paul, to whom I am sending you to open their eyes, that is the eyes of the Gentiles, so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So Paul says to Agrippa, again, he's looking empire, he's looking Rome in the eye. 
And he says, I have been sent by this Jesus to open their eyes. To open your eyes, Agrippa and Festus and everyone else who is in the room. To open the eyes of empire. And you remember, and we just read this, of course, that that Paul himself went through this experience of having his eyes open. Remember, when the great light came, he fell from his horse. He was blind. His eyes were open, says Acts. But he could see. But he couldn't see. He was blind for a number of days, and then Ananias came. You remember that story. We went over it a number of weeks ago. Ananias came and baptized him, and as he was baptized, something like scales fell from his eyes. And he could see again. So Paul is saying, what happened to me, walking after being blind, not seeing, I need to be able to see again. I need to, I want you, uh, says Jesus to Paul, I'm sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light. According to St. Jerome, who lived around the time of the sacking of the city of Rome in 410 after Christ, when the city of Rome was sacked, St. Jerome said, the light of the world has gone out. The Romans were immensely proud of their empire. They believed that their empire was bringing the light of civilization to the darkest corners of Europe and Asia. Does that sound familiar from any old history lessons? Bringing the light of civilization. And what Paul says to empire as he looks empire in the eye is, you didn't bring any light. You guys are walking in darkness. Remember that passage from Isaiah uh, chapter 60. Behold, Darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise among you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. And then Jesus came and said, I am the light of the world. So Paul says to empire, you may think you're the light of civilization, but you aren't. You're walking in darkness. So I want you to turn from darkness to light and, and listen to this next phrase, turn and from the power of Satan to God. This word power is used a hundred plus times in the New Testament, and it means ruling authority. It's different from the Greek word dunamis, which means power, another, another kind of power. This means ruling authority. So Paul says, you need, to power, you need to turn from the ruling authority of Satan to the ruling authority of God. You see how this is all kingdom language? This is all empire language? And again, Paul is looking King Agrippa in the eyes. He's saying, you're blind, you're walking in darkness, you're walking under the authority of Satan and you need to change from the power of Satan to the power of God 
that you may receive forgiveness of sins. Willie James Jennings makes the comment, and I'm paraphrasing here, that throughout the last centuries, this word forgiveness of sins has been superficially read. That it's about my sin, that it's about my foibles, that it's about my weaknesses, and it's about whether God is happy with me or not. That's not what Paul's talking about. At least not primarily. Certainly that's included. But Paul is looking at empire in the eyes. Saying, you think you're bringing the light of civilization. But it's a facade. You're bringing oppression. You're bringing racism. You're bringing misuse of power. You're misusing wealth. You're misusing your military. You're bringing violence. And it's systemic and it's deep within you and it needs to be forgiven. That's what Paul's talking about here when he mentions forgiveness of sins. And then he says that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me a place you remember in John chapter 14 where Jesus says I am going to prepare a place for you that word place in Greek is a different word that word place literally means place like we're here in this place this word place is the word for inheritance it's the word for portion It's the word for share in. So it's not a physical place, but it's becoming part of, receiving an inheritance, being included in the community of those who, and again, remember in the New Testament, whenever we see the word faith, you can also think of the word allegiance. All of those who give their allegiance to Jesus Christ who is really the king of the world. And when you give your allegiance to Jesus Christ, you find yourself in a community. So see what Paul's doing? He's looking empire in the eye, saying you're blind, you're walking in darkness, You're under the authority. You're being ruled by Satan. And you need to change and become, put yourself under the authority of the real king. And have your sins forgiven. Have them wiped away. And come into this community of people who give their allegiance to this king. Instead of Caesar, or whatever other empire it is. N.T. Wright sums Paul's missionary work up very well. I know this quote is is from N.T. Wright, but sometime this week I lost the place where I found it. So 
I, I can't help you with where I found it, but I know, but I know it's from him. Paul's missionary work must be conceived of, must be conceived not simply in terms of a traveling evangelist offering people a new religious experience, but of an ambassador for a king in waiting, establishing cells of people loyal to this new king and ordering their lives according to his story, his symbols, and his practice, his, his praxis, his way of life, and their minds according to his truth. This could only be construed as deeply counter-imperial, as subversive to the whole edifice of the Roman Empire, and there is, in fact, plenty of evidence that Paul intended it to be so construed. And that when he ended up in prison as a result of his work, he took it as a sign that he had been doing his job properly. The very end of the book of Acts, Paul's last speech, when he looks empire in the eye, says, I'm an ambassador for this king in waiting. And we're gathering together a group of people who have given their allegiance to this king. And we're living and we're thinking according to his story, his symbols, according to how he wants us to live. And in doing so, and we followed this theme all through Acts, we are subverting, we are turning upside down. We are going against the norms and values of empire. And that's what we do. And we know we're succeeding because you've thrown us in prison. How does this word of Paul apply to us today? Well, as I've said numbers of times in the last months, this last period of time in our history of the United States, but also of the West, has revealed deep cracks in our society and in our structures. COVID has tested the limits of our health care system. It's opened up again in new ways the racial inequality that lives among us. It's tested the limits of our politics and the brokenness of our politics. And it's tested our commitment to each other as a community. Two weeks ago, a big report came out on global warming. And we're beginning to realize, not beginning to realize, where it's becoming obvious to us in in more and more ways that in some ways we may be on the point of maybe beyond the point of, of no return we have damaged our world so extensively that a lot of people are going to die because of it and now the last few weeks what's happened in Afghanistan has shown the deep weaknesses of our ability 
to have a positive impact in the world, to protect those we have promised to protect, and our propensity to use violence to reach our goals. And as we read these words from Acts, and as we read these words from Paul, we're making a big mistake if we just take them personally. It's just about me. Just about how I live my life. It's about my relationship to God. If these words don't speak to empire, and if we don't start to think about empire, then we're, we're missing the point. There are huge cracks that are appearing in the empire that is the United States of America and the West. It doesn't mean that our country has not been built on good foundational principles or that they're never being uh, worked out. It doesn't mean that our country has not done any good or is not doing any good. Quite the contrary. It does not mean that there has not been a lot of progress in recent decades in a lot of ways. All of the major indicators of what good living is are on the rise. There's no question about that. But still, when Paul says, open your eyes, is he asking us also to open our eyes to what the reality is, and that reality is complex and to an extent two realities that live together. One is all the goodness and all the health and all the wealth and all the charity and all the service and all those wonderful kids playing in the Little League World Series. And on the other hand, it's materialism, militarism, and racism. And these two we hold together. We look at honestly together. Let me give you an example. As you know, most of you know, my wife and I lived for 10 years in Nigeria years ago. I went there, I can say with perfect honesty, as God is my witness, I went there with every intention to do good, to be of service, to sacrifice myself, to rid myself of any racism that might be in me, to do everything I could to become part of and to be helpful to the communities in which I found myself. That is absolute gospel truth. But it's also true that I unmistakably represented empire. I went there with power. I went there with wealth. I went there with education. And I fed right into the systems of colonialism that were there. And I'm sure I was perceived that way a lot. 
And I conducted myself in that way a lot, not consciously and not willingly, but number one, because I didn't know. No one told me. No one warned me. No one said, hey, think about this. No one said to me, learn the history of English colonization in, in Nigeria and of Western colonization in West Africa. And let that history inform how you think and how you act. Both of those things are true. And what I think is what, what, what our current situation is forcing us to do, for those of us that are willing to, is to open our eyes, saying there's a ton of good here. But we're also empire. And when Paul says, open, our, open your eyes to Agrippa, he says it to us. When Paul says, turn from your darkness, Rome, he says it to us. When he says, resist the authority of Satan and give your allegiance to Jesus Christ, even if it means that you may benefit less, He's saying it to us. When he says to Agrippa, plead for forgiveness. Is he saying it to us? To plead for forgiveness, not just of our personal foibles, but of the systemic sins of empire in which we have participated. Extractive economy oppression and slavery of indigenous and peoples and minorities, LGBTQ community, go through the list. Colonialism, militarism, violence. And when he calls to Agrippa and says, Agrippa, I'm calling you to join this inheritance, this community of Jesus followers, who are setting out and learning together what it looks like to live in this new kingdom, call is also to us will you join this community or will you stay in this deadly individualism which our empire has pushed upon us this so impacted Festus we didn't read this maybe you remember this that he cried out, Paul, you are out of your mind. <laughs> Festus knew what was going on. He knew what Paul was challenging. He said, Paul, you are totally out of your mind. You are crazy. And Agrippa said, in a short time, would you persuade me? This requires such a change, such a difference in, a, in the way I look at my world. I, I can't do it. And Paul says to him, I don't care whether it's short or long. I just wish, I wish to God that you and all who hear me this day might become such as I am. That is one of those 
who removes himself from the authority of Satan and empire and moves in, gives his allegiance to Jesus Christ, enters this community, and then lives in a totally new way. I'd like to conclude by saying something especially to the young people. You have, as young people in our schools today, the advantage of learning aspects of our world and our history that many of us older folks never learned. You are seeing things, experiencing, and learning things in school that I was not exposed to. And that gives you a great advantage. Because you have advantaged all these two things together, all of the good and all of the empire. And you have the ability to make the choice to move your allegiance or to strengthen your allegiance or to start at a very young age in giving your allegiance to this Jesus, this King. To order your lives, as N.T. Wright says, according to his story, according to his symbols, according to the way he lived, and your minds according to his truth. You have the opportunity to do that in ways that I did not have. I encourage you to make those choices. To open up your minds. What's this empire like? What's this kingdom of God like? What's this Jesus like? And what would it mean? What would it look like for me to follow him? And what would it look like for me to be part of a community that is this beachhead, this colony of God's kingdom in the midst of empire? And that's our theme, isn't it? God's community in the midst of empire. And these are just about the last words of Paul in Acts. Amen.